because England or Scotland have some type of Thanksgiving no. not grateful people, huh? Or not colonized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're colonized, that's what I mean. Every, they feel <laughs> entitled, so everything is theirs. Why should we be thankful? This land is ours. Why has a Thanksgiving been cancelled? <laughs> it's my question. <laughs> well, that is true, right? It's America's uh, trying to whitewash the history. Oh, I see a doggy in the background. Yes. <laughs> is it like, hey, Joy? Hi. Yeah, uh, he's my companion. Um, yeah. The Thanksgiving is just like, for me, it's a cousin to... Is it Columbus Day or something, which I'd never heard about before until I got to the U.S. and I was like, "What is this?" Because the I went straight into university when I moved to the U.S. and it was all these liberal kids being like, "We hate Columbus Day because it's a colonialist agenda or whatever." And I was like, mm-hmm. "I don't know what you're talking about, but okay." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so what what are your thoughts on that? What do you think of Columbus Day? And to share a meal, so <laughs> what was that? Sorry. So what do you think of Columbus Day now? Well, I think it is what they said it was. Um, there's not really a reason to celebrate that day, I guess. I don't know. Right. No, who knows? I don't really. It's like the day that Columbus arrived in the U.S. or something. It is right, and they, by saying it, it's a day of discovery, right? Discovered America. Mm-hmm. It's oh. already stating there was no mm-hmm. one there, mm-hmm. and you're right. And if that becomes an annual holiday, then that becomes your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but so I mean. That is the narrative of America, you know. It is. That is how things happened. <laughs> right. So I guess you have to like not erase that, but also, is it okay to celebrate it? I don't know. Yeah. We have to be critical about that. I think there are different movements. I know there are some states now not lift, raising it, lifting it up as Columbus Day, mm. but like um, Native American Heritage Day. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the and. Uh, and trying to replace, or not replace, but add another narrative and be critical of your typical Thanksgiving where the Indians and the pilgrims, they all got together and they shared a meal. And November is now also Native American Heritage Month. Mm. So, but, yeah. Mm. So that that was now, this past month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How is so, no, no Thanksgiving here. Um, no Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, but I'm not used to that anyway. So <laughs> I don't really. Yeah. I'm surprised that other people wish me happy Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean to wish another person happy Thanksgiving? Yeah. I think mostly in America, we we think that well, it just means a time to get together with family mm-hmm. right. yeah so it's like chuseok i guess yeah yeah so if it's simply just celebrating the harvest of the year mm. then that's 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 fine i think that's yeah. 
and we should right the cycle of season and being grateful it a genuine gratitude means uh, understanding of our dependency upon so many people and so many beings and things yeah and sharing and sharing yeah breaking bread yeah i think that's very nice do you miss your family since as we started talking about family you know they were there uh now just maybe just a month already now it's been a month already yeah it was a month ago fast yeah do you miss them no (laughs) i will edit that out in this podcast because they all i'm obviously listening (laughs) uh i don't miss anyone no not even your sister out of sight out of mind i'm always connected to my sister through cacao talk we're always messaging each other especially when it comes to like shopping decisions and stuff (laughs) um are you asking her for shopping decisions or is she asking you um i guess vice versa are you trust each other's fashion but she well i trust her fashion sense a lot more and she tends to ask me if i want an extra of whatever she's buying or something like that she's really nice about it yeah she's the best um honestly even if i lived in the u.s i think i would see her maybe twice a year to be honest because once you start working it's like you don't see each other ever so it's pretty much the same (laughs) let me hear but yeah yeah, i don't know do you miss like relatives your parents I I do I guess does what does missing mean I mean I I think of them I it would be good if they were near is that missing uh, I don't pine for them <laughs> yeah exactly and we get used to we human beings are so adaptable we get used to the well the modern society is that you do not live generations but generations about the same place with your family yeah right? so we just accept it but you're and right also, like things once you oh no just that once you get used to it it's sort of hard to imagine living with your extended family mm. i would not want that you know? <laughs> so i guess uh, maybe, I feel it's, about it. <laughs> no that's right i i for me, it would be like, it would be nice to have an extension near, nearby. Mm. I, I think there is definitely something about, like, my children having cousins, and they could have a type of relationship that's deeper than friendship. Friendship mm-hmm. has its own depth, but cousins have their own depth. Yeah. So it would be good if I could hang out with my brothers and drink together. There, there are things that I could talk with my brothers and drinking and mm-hmm. the fact that I can't do that, I think limits how much I could process some of my harder experiences. Like I don't have that same people to talk with. Mm-hmm. Or even ideas. Mm. Are you not close to your brother? No, I mean, I'm close to them. That's what I mean. That okay. I would love to process these things with them, some ideas and and experiences emotions but i can't do that over the phone okay it's i don't know if it's a you know difference between men and women uh but like i i can't just 
be on the phone and just be talking, talking. We could, we're next to each other, mm-hmm. we got a drink, then we can talk for mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. Not over the phone. It's different. I mean, yeah. I just talk over the phone with people that I'm not going to see <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah, but it's tiring, the phone. It is tiring too, yes. You're yeah. right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't have any relationship with any of my cousins, so I don't know. Maybe that's also why everyone's a, everyone is in Korea. That's the only right. thing I can say I miss is probably my aunt and my grandma in Korea. Mm-hmm. We emailed each other for years yeah. now and sent each wow. other packages every really? year. I sent a Christmas package this year. I sent one last year, the year before. And she sends me something as well. And yeah. Your aunt. My aunt in Korea. And we've sent each other books. And then with my grandma, it's just sort of indirect communication about how she's doing with my mom and my aunt. So, so yeah, I think that's, those are the people I miss because I haven't seen them in like, I last saw them in 2016 or 2017 or something. So, yeah, and my cousins, yeah, seven years or longer. So, <laughs> it's at that point, you just don't, you can't really say you miss them. It's like, right, right, right. You don't even know who they are, mm. but, you know. True, true. So, why do you think you connected so well with this specific aunt? What was it that drew you to her and also to you? Is she your only aunt? No, right? No, I have three. One of them is a bit of an outcast. Um, mm. She did all the things that no, nobody else in the family approved of, but yet she did it. So she's a rebel, is what I'd yeah. say. Um, but a brat, a bratty aunt to me oh. and my siblings. Because um, she's the youngest and didn't have much of an age difference with me, with us. Um, and then another aunt, a couple of other aunts. And anyway, the one that I connect with the most is my oldest aunt, uh, the second oldest aunt. Yeah. And she's, she's a psychiatrist. She's very cool. She's given me a couple of, gifted me a couple of books that were really good. Um, She asks me for help with translation sometimes. But I remember when I was a teenager, I went to Korea and we would have these sort of casual conversations about things and we just vibed, you know. She had, we like, yeah, she's not extremely anything. So I like that she's sort of middle of the road. Like my parents are extremely Christian, but she's a lot more like middle of the road in terms of that kind of thing, spirituality and whatnot. And um, she was like, I did a PhD and started working and I never enjoyed my life. I studied like my entire life. So you need to go out there and enjoy yourself. I was like, yeah, I will. (laughs) So every time she says it makes her happy when I'm traveling somewhere. So because of her wisdom and those advices you feel like you're balancing that because you are doing phd but you're still enjoying life you're traveling so you got that balance that maybe she lacked yeah i guess so yeah the phd you just sort of i just fell into it so it's not really <laughs> how did you found to phd that's a because there's a lot of commitment yeah but 
I didn't come up with this project. I applied and I happened to be the most qualified for some weird reason. And I got it as a job. So it's a way to stay in the UK, you know? Okay. It's an interesting project, but I'm yeah. already over two years in and I'm bored of it. Um, but, you know, you keep doing it. <laughs> and people are like, you must be so passionate about academia. I'm like, no. no okay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of YouTube these days. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Who are you closest to out of your relatives or your siblings? Well, from, so I'm a, the first of three sons. And actually, all three of us are close to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we could talk about everything and we range so my youngest is an atheist the second one is a evangelical pastor and he's a compassionate evangelical uh, kind of uh, taking it from Bush's compassionate conservative uh, he had you know heaven and hell mm -hmm. doesn't still believes in complementarianism uh, women should not be ordained as a pastor mm -hmm. okay but they just le left the southern baptist church because they were becoming way too explicitly sexist and racist uh, so he he could hear me you know but we have very diverse divergent uh theological uh, perspective so mm. so that range is actually is good it's fun and we have arguments, but uh, like, you know, philosophical idea arguments. At the mm -hmm. same time, we could still talk about all of our personal experiences and what we're going through. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm close mm -hmm. to both of them. As far as cousin, like you, I was here in America, so I did not know my cousins in Korea. But when I went to for a year to teach English after I graduated mm -hmm. from seminary, I did connect with a cousin young who's my age uh and i i think part of that is yeah just that that uh because we're cousins she immediately like wanted to you know tell me about the korean family history that i did not know and bring me to the places and connect me with the friends mm -hmm. i didn't have to earn friendship mm -hmm. there's that korean idea that we're blood and so I, I connect deeply with her with her for that year. So now, even now, we will talk. Mm -hmm. And she went through her own thing, divorced family, raising a kid by herself. She herself got divorced. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's been years now. And it's just unfortunate that some of the, the closest ones that we really love and are loved by, uh, we don't get to see them regularly. It's mm. just such a mobile society. Yeah. So at most, I get to see my brothers physically once every two years. Yeah. And what? We're, we're all hurtling towards the end of our life. And we would, have, we would spend less and less years with the people that we love. And we spend more years with people that we need to be with for work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I was listening to, I don't even know where I, what I was listening to, but somebody talking about you're only going to see your parents if you see them once a year. It's going to be if I live, happen to live 50 more years, it's 50 times my entire lifetime or less. That's so depressing. Yeah, or if I see them once every two years, like my siblings, that's 25 times. 
So that's like very few. <laughs> but, you know, I would love to see my siblings more, but we all have our lives. Yeah. yeah. And like my parents is now late 70s and 80, my father 80. So what, even if he lives to 100, mm. and that's being very optimistic, that's still only 20 more times. Mm. If I meet them once a year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so that's probably like 30 more times for my parents. Mm. What more depressing fact? <laughs> it's not depressing. It's just. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I'm more pissed about the people that I have to see that I don't like that, I, that are just around, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it is what it is. Anyway, we can talk about this um, comic if you want. Yes, yes. So, but I do want to say, like, this is why I appreciate this. I'm, I'm glad I'm able to talk about. Yeah, I don't, there are not many people that I can talk like this with you, with you, the way we could talk about our life and our family, but then also these ideas and the range of ideas we could talk about, from short stories to comics. So, and this is very uh, precious. So, I really appreciate this time and appreciate you. It's a pleasure. Um, I actually wanted to. Now that I think about it, can I ask you something quickly about um, sure. the church that I've stopped going to now? <laughs> okay. I never looked at their creed, but they Which have church? this. Huh? Oh, it's just a local church in Glasgow. And it's it was started by, now they have like satellites, but it was started by a couple of Americans. Um, and it's like a very welcoming and young church and it's packed every Sunday and they have a great worship team. So that's the hook. Then um, somebody told me, look into their actual beliefs, and I did. Okay. And obviously it was like, there was sections about marriage and divorce that was like built into their basic, this okay. is what marriage is about, so that they have very strong opinions about it. So marriage is only between a man and a woman. I was like, okay, you're conservative, that's fine, that's predictable. And then it was more of divorce and the conditions that allow for divorce and it was like um if you're a believer and you're with a non-believer if the non-believer decides to leave you that's okay but even if the non-believer is um emotionally uh unfaithful to you or violent or lustful etc 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 pornography that detail yeah, pornography, etc. It's not, wow. it, it's not recommended for you to do, to leave them. If they are violent to you, take measures to protect yourself and your family. But we do not recommend divorce. I was like, what? I was so mind blown. I was like, you're condoning violence right now, and yeah. you're also like, it's okay if the other person leaves you, but you're not allowed to leave them. So it was funny because the friend that t told me about this, uh, because his girlfriend is Christian and he is not. He was like, wow, like, I'm not going to convert anymore. He was kind of jokingly like, I have to stay the non-believer so she'll never leave me. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> if we go by this church. Was it like, church. I could do so many things to her. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And I was just like, and, uh, and, you know, a few weeks back when I went for the last time, the sermon was about how, if you break the covenant with someone and you're divorced and then you marry someone else, it's like you're committing adultery or something like that. And I was like, 
And I was I was seeing some heads in the congregation being like, mm. <laughs> I was like, they're probably remarried or something. So it was quite, um, I saw people going up to him and getting kind of ready to debate him. So I was just going to ask, is that a common thing? Because I don't really. Yes, that's a very evangelical conservative uh, view on marriage and relationship between man and woman. I've been taught similar stuff, even within a really? uh, Korean church, where they will go specifically, and they pull it up from uh, like First Corinthians, um, and then of course, I mean, it's it's really more of a, the modern American post 1950s understanding of marriage, but they have scripture to try to support it, um, but they would even go into that detail, exactly what you were saying, how if you are not Christian. Okay, but then you're a Christian, you have actually a greater reason to stay because it's part of your witness. This is how you will win them over to Jesus. Uh, mm. So, th but that they will go into that detail and put it in the website. That's surprising. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's like, so that means that that's such a core thing for them, which is so interesting. Yeah. Well, it wasn't oh, yeah. super prominent. It was a PDF. It was a link that you had to click on. But. Okay. Well, so it's a common conservative evangelical thing. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, it's something that my brother probably would teach. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Never heard it spelled it out like that. Okay. Sorry, that was a really long aside. <laughs> no, there's no sides here. Remember, it's, what do you want to talk about? That's how tired all the fuck is. What do you want to talk about? Nate. Uh, yeah. Nate Brigetzi. So did you enjoy his, uh, I think, the greatest average American? Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. okay. I think I enjoyed his SNL skits more. But, oh, yeah. yeah, it makes sense because those are, like designed to sort of pop yeah what did you what did you think about his netflix special so he is definitely hilarious uh but it kind of it's a it kind of creeps up on you i, I don't know that like you don't expect it to be funny but yet it's funny and like i scratch my head and saying how is that funny? How did he make that funny? Because the punchline doesn't punch you. I, I don't know. It gently tickles you. Mm. And for the most part, like you laugh, and there are few where you laugh out loud. Well, that, mm. right? So maybe with his SNL skit, that was a laugh out loud. Mm. And, but his, when, he just, when he's special, in Santa special, like there's not very many laugh out loud moments. Um, but like, his 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 punch his punchline sticker lines still deliver, mm. and is it his way of putting it? Is it his kind of? It's full of ums and a lot of fillers, and that's part of the humor that he brings in. Would that work with another type of persona and another person? Is, is the structure of the joke still solid that it will still land if there's another person? So all those questions are raised when I'm watching him. Mm. 
Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Actually, that was a question to you. Like, what do you think makes him or his routine routine funny? Well, as you said, you put it in a good way. Was like he sort of mm, tickles you. To me, it was very like dad humor. Like if his his kids could watch it, it's not like other comics that go fully into sexual jokes. Yeah, it was very PC like family <laughs> friendly is, yeah. Yeah. jokes. So yeah, I don't know. It felt a little bit like Southern Dad vibes there. Um, he, is, he is a Southerner. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I don't know, dinner jokes, you know? Jokes. Like, yeah. Which I think that's his sort of vibe. Like, it's your neighbor that you invited over. <laughs> it's right. not like superstar. He's not yeah. very flashy. Mm-hmm. And the way that he talks is also not that you know, like Bill Burr's rage or anything. It's just oh. very mild. Yeah. He's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Not monotone, but he's way less um, excitable, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even his delivery of Washington um, in, on SNL, it's just, right. he speaks with authority, <laughs> but it was also very kind of casual. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if he came to that after a lot of just going up the stage and say, oh, I think this is a type of persona that works best for me because it's not a stretch. Oh, I wonder if he just knew from the very beginning that that's, that's always a question to any comics. I wonder how he came with that persona. It just naturally came or were there some conscious decisions that he made and so now he's doing that on stage because he's practiced it do you think it's always conscious Mm. or do you think it sometimes just is that way you're right it's not all conscious but is it all just natural then i don't know he makes it look natural You'd have to ask them. (laughs) (laughs) That that is uh, like in any art where it is the most natural thing and the most artificial, not artificial, but uh, disciplined thing. Something he he, he or she does it so well that it looks natural. (laughs) But he or she does it so well because it's so natural. Like I, I think it's a Somehow both end. Mm-hmm. I, I do find like his perspective refreshing because although it is you're right, kind of the like the dad joke somehow uh, becoming successful. Uh, like so, it's a common thing. But I wonder if people have thought it that way or put it that way. So even those kind of explicit comics, eventually they get tiring too. Like you know the dick joke is coming. Mm-hmm. Like you know the uh, what is it like like the, you know the kids 
uh, I want to murder them, you know, I want to abandon the joke is coming. Uh, so in midst of that, here's refreshing, um, for like the joke on Ho when you went to Costco and he bought the same reversible jacket, <laughs> right? Uh, so that's like, okay, there's no huge concept that changes the punchline, but it's hilarious that he would do buy those two jackets. And then when he goes, I said, they go, are you sure? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm very sure. And he plays that out. Mm. Uh, so like would i would you get that joke somewhere else i don't think so no, even though it's like oh that could happen but it's still a joke that i think only he would he could deliver and he could think of mm. it wasn't funny to me okay uh, i guess it fits his character his kind of comedy mm -hmm. Yeah. He also started with something about COVID, about, yeah. you know, oh, some of them have never even heard about it. <laughs> That's right, friends. Yeah. What was going through my head was how many people have cracked this kind of joke about COVID and yet it still lands, you know? Because, mm. yeah, everyone has, oh, the friends who never got vaccinated or, or anti vaxxers. But this was. He just delivers it so simply. I think it was. Yes, it delivers simply, yeah. Yeah. I, and then he talks about how his friend said he had it before. Yeah. <laughs> in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> so you're right. That's familiar. But I think mm -hmm. that little thing, that mm -hmm. slight little thing is like, oh, okay. I, I don't know if someone would have come up with that. Or maybe have you heard anyone like that? Like, oh, yeah, my friend, he said he had it way before. So. Yeah, I think so. Or at least COVID-related jokes, like anti-vaxxers and stuff. But it's very, yeah, it is very something that could happen in your life as well. And he sort yeah. of puts it in there, like the reversible jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's the thing. Like, it, it's, it happens in every person's life. Sometimes mm -hmm. when a comic gets so famous, his jokes comes out of his experiences, you know, as a famous person. Like, now mm -hmm. a lot of Dave Chappelle stuff is about how he met OJ, OJ mm. Simpson, the okay. juice. Like, who can relate to that? But of course, his artistry is that he still makes it funny. But him is like the reversible jacket. Mm. Uh, right. And then, like, going on a boat. Like, this is an, in another special of his. Right. And so he makes observations around that. So it's your average thing. And yet, the way he brings it about or says it or highlights something makes it funny and okay so it's a different perspective on something that you are familiar with mm. yeah making it funny yeah right did you relate to what well, i don't know how did you find his whole thing about the generational differences he's he was saying he's the oregon trail the lost generation or something I don't remember that right now. <laughs> Can you recall that? Like he what was saying something about how there's Gen X and then there's millennials, but he's neither of them because he was born in 1979. And um, so they call his generation the Oregon Trail generation or the lost one, the lost ones. And uh, the Oregon Trail is not a good usage, huh? 
Yeah, well, I, I never played it. I don't really know what that means. Um, and then he goes on about something about their generation and specifically <clears throat> how they miss both the cultural mm-hmm. habits of either generation that they're that he's in between. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, never mind. So it wasn't even memorable for you. <laughs> Did you find it funny though? I, no. I, <laughs> okay. I didn't. Well, I couldn't relate, and I don't really know much about these generations. So, but if no, I did, I probably would have found it funny. Okay. I, I guess maybe too for me, I don't really mind too a lot about these generations, and I know a lot of comics do make fun of these like millennial Gen X or what blah blah. I uh, I I just don't buy too much into that. Hmm. It almost feels like for me, those kind of calling different generations, kind of like horoscope. You say enough stuff, then it makes it fit. It works because you say enough stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, how really much different are we? And there's usually something about, you know, when I was growing up, I could just go outside and play in the dirt, and now that doesn't happen anymore, kind of thing. Yes, and that's, that's sort of a recurring. That is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, some of it were, was pretty funny. Um, yeah. yeah. So he, he hardly does any crowd work. He doesn't really, even though like you know, things happen around, I think there's a. F- plane passing by and he says something about that but usually it sticks very close to his set mm-hmm. um, so I, I was gonna say like I, I, that kind of encourages me meaning uh like i guess right now i'm at a place where i don't see myself as doing a lot of great crowd work mm-hmm. i feel like that needs some type of other level of wittiness mm-hmm. but I feel like I could write a good set. I mean, I'm still ways to go, but like, you know, some of the comments that I I've gotten was, okay, you write your jokes well. Like they, other comics see past the the expressionism and all that, like structure wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like he he does that. Like he again, the way he presents it sounds like mumbling or uh, kind of. Rec- walk, walk, working towards it at that moment because of all of his filler words like yeah but you know um and but i think behind it it's a well-rehearsed joke and i i i, I, th- I see that and part that's part of his presentation so it doesn't go too far off from that mm-hmm. and the fact that you could still be successful doing that is mm-hmm. some is encouraging for me yeah i mean definitely has a niche yeah. i think but also probably just focus on telling jokes based on little things in your life yeah and just keep going with that i don't think it needs to be meeting oj <laughs> right yeah. yeah 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 i guess that's another thing too in comedy too i think we might have talked about this already just just go with your voice whatever and don't try to imitate but like be the best at being you and mm. that's how people will like be drawn to you yeah and and i guess that's something that he totally 
like practices and leans into like the way he. I'm sorry. I didn't know he was so big. Like I didn't know he was famous. Yeah. Sorry, I cut. No, no, right. I, that that it is surprising that he is so big. <laughs> um, and I I believe this special did win some award, uh, some comedy album of the year or something like that. Really? Yeah. Some award, and when you are learn you're learning about communication you're told to not use so many filler words i keep going back to it but he uses so many filler words and still makes it work and that's because he really owns it that's he made a part of his act um so it seems like there is no one way towards uh really connecting with the people mm -hmm. I, I think you have to be so again yeah another lesson like you have to know who you are and just believe in and trust in it and be the best at that and that's how you connect which is another paradox of art uh, i didn't even i didn't even notice his filler words wow i didn't notice okay maybe i was focusing too much on what he was saying but i yeah that's and great also, then. that's also kind of how you speak um casually with yes people. that's right yeah. that's right so maybe that's yeah i kind of went over my head because i was just listening to it like conversationally yeah. um, right which is successful then <laughs> yeah, that that's right that's right yeah that's right so for me because i was thinking about the behind the scenes mm -hmm. how does it do it the first thing that caught me was he used so many filler words <laughs> because I'm trying to see how he does it. But for most people, that you're not paying attention to that. Yeah. And as you said, he does it and we don't even know, then that means he, he does a good job of it. Mm. He's a master of it. The master of casualness. <laughs> sure. And that's not easy. Mm. I, I respect that completely. Did you see the skit on SNL with him called The Chef, I think? Master Chef? Yes. Yeah, I saw that too. With a reversal of, with a surprise. Also, yes. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious too. Yeah, and I thought that, well, Washington as well, but he was great for that role because he's so inconspicuous he seems like the average american man mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's how he talks as well just sort of like the guy next door mm -hmm, but then he fit that sort of i can't you can't believe that this average white dude could make food like that <laughs> well you're right yeah and he keeps <laughs> apologizing for it i'm sorry i'm yeah. sorry yeah <laughs> and yeah that that fits him he did it, he worked hard at it, but when success comes to him, he has no idea. I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there were so many laugh out moments. I think the, the cultural crit criticism is also really on point. Mm. This idea of identity politics. 
Mm. Um, so black person is da da da, and then you realize that the black uh, chef was from France. <laughs> and so she took a French kind of cuisine to it. Mm. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when they try the meal again, oh, let, let's eat just one more time. Let's try it again. And then he tries to really enjoy it. And then, uh, and then he goes, and he throws the dish. He's like, no, it ain't. And he throws the dish. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. so hilarious. <laughs> well, Keenan? There's... Uh, Keenan, yeah, he's so good. He's really good. Gosh, yeah, he's so good. Yeah. And, and, and the, they... that female chef as well, the woman chef. I can't mm. remember the name. But her skits, she's, she's so funny. Yeah. Have you ever watched Lisa from Temecula? No. Watch that. It's a sketch. It's um, SNL sketch. Lisa and there's nothing. Yeah, Lisa from Temecula. Okay. But there's just one line that sort of cracks everyone in the scene up. Yeah. It just. There's not much to it. Okay. But then. People start breaking. Um, yeah, they just start. Even the people in there freak character yeah, because it's everywhere. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Does that mean that she just improvised? Maybe, huh? It was not. Could I be. Bet there was, yeah. Could be. But the way she delivers the line as well. That is so hilarious. Yeah. How <laughs> delivery? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I recommend. But yeah. yeah, going back to that chef show, remember when they try to put the uh, was Howard University shirt on him? <laughs> he goes, get this oh. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like I could show that for an, actually a DEI type of learning. Because one of the things uh, that DEI doesn't do well is because they're so kind of committed to the identity. Like mm. part of the diversity is you have to have multiple identities, but then you are kind of essentializing what is a social construct. Mm. The very thing you want to remove, you are, it, it's, it's a very hard thing to do, right? You have to recognize the experience of the minority. So you do have to kind of lift up the identity without essentializing it. Um, but, but yeah, like you could get to so much, so such a place where, the DEI itself becomes like, let's make sure we have a black person here who will bring black perspective. And that might, person might not have any black perspective because she's a French African American, not African American, mm-hmm. a French African, right? So, uh, I, yeah, I think it's, 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 a, it's a funny way to think about what, what, do we, what, what is identity and mm-hmm. how are we ironically maybe still essentializing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what does diversity mean if that's the case? Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, that is a great question. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Nate Bergatz, he always has, in this special, I guess he didn't show it, but I know the latest special, that's in Amazon Prime, as he enters the stage, he kisses his wife, kisses his daughter, and his daughter introduces him. Like, mm. 
Mm. Uh, welcome, my father, Nate Baguetzi. So that is him. That touches him in his family. And in that special, he does go talk about how his parents were evangelical Christians. Mm. There's a line like, yeah, my Christians were, uh, here. they were Christians in the 80s. Like that's when, like the most Christian ever in American history or something like that. He says a nice funny line about, so this was, it is true in the 80s, that, that was a heyday of evangelical in American, mm-hmm. right? With Bush and Republicans and the moral majority, that was a heyday of the evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> mole of the eye. <laughs> you gotta now tell me why the mole of the eye. Huh? You just roll your well, eye. Yeah, because I don't know. It's just a bit sad as you grow older where you see your parents' heroes and the places that they want to visit, the middle of nowhere in America. They're, you know, the Billy Graham center of I don't know what or someone else's name. Joel Austin, Austin, not that they like him, but, you know, these quote-unquote big names and Christian circles. You're like, eh, those are pretty poor heroes to have. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I wish you you have bigger heroes. Yeah. <laughs> no? Yes, yeah. yes. So, like, your parents wanted to go to Billy Graham Center? Probably at some point, yeah. And then when they visited me, they wanted to go to the John Knox house in Edinburgh as well. Okay. Because John Knox was a big figure in, um, yeah. John Knox, the philosopher, right? John Knox, uh, yeah, who was Christian um, and who led that kind of, I guess, struggle between Christians and Catholics here in in the UK, in Great Britain. I see. Yeah. Okay. So I believe he received a lot of support from Queen somebody to to fight the cause of. Yeah. Christians, like non Catholic Christians. Yeah. 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 My father is sending a lot of scripture passages and YouTube videos of, and how we should continue to read the Bible and pray. He's becoming bit, not bit, a lot more. Like, I don't say that. Not stringent, stringent is not the right word, but a lot more just Bible, you know, Christ alone. And I think that's how he needs to make the life that he has spent, right, truly meaningful by doubling down on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that. I, got, I respect that. But at the same time, I am sad, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's so many other ways to see and explore life. Mm -hmm. But then, like, could he have other ways explored with a lack of money and perhaps the only source way to make a decent living for him was the church, to be a pastor? Yeah, and then and, and if he 
is it like don't we all in one sense have our own ideology or narrative to help us to believe that we live a meaningful life um, mm. and other uh, other narratives more uh open than the christian narrative i i, I hope so i think so mm. <laughs> or are we just on the on the way of our own blind sides is ours yeah. also as fundamentalist as as his as other mm. conservative christians mm. yeah definitely there's always you move from one box to another box, another box. <laughs> and then you look back and you're like oh that one sucked um yeah definitely box you're right that's a good way to put it. which reminds us reminds me of the poem that we looked at right the box is a container mm, yeah and you know i sometimes catch myself i'm like why don't why am i so critical of this you know like they could be just as critical of me but it's because i have this frame of mind where you know certain values seem better than others or something but Yeah, there, there's no right or wrong. There just are different ways of seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just read this novel that someone lent me. Thank goodness for good friends who lend you books. But um, this book called The Convenience Store Woman. Okay. It's a translated work of fiction by a Japanese author. But it sort of is um social satire in a way uh -huh. there's nothing grand going on in fact there's almost nothing it's about the life of somebody who works at a convenience store wow. but yeah. things are described in such a way that they're made so foreign like it's sort of like if you yeah if you're just looking at it for the first time or something mm -hmm. or a total extra like an alien or something to that culture and society. It was pretty good. It was. That's fascinating. Yeah, it was. So it's just super minute details about social life and interaction and work. Uh -huh. Um, I recommend it anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it sort of makes you also think, oh, what are all these things that I take for granted and all the social norms that I've sort of absorbed without really thinking about it. <clears throat> it's really a casual book to read. It's not even, you know, it's not trying to be sound grand. It's just very simply told. But so those social commentaries are just things that naturally come out in the way that the author describes what's happening. It's not like it's, it's told in the first person. No. no, it's told in the it's the whole thing is first person narrative. Okay. So be because you're hearing this person's thoughts, you realize how you didn't pick up on that kind of thing mm. being yourself already as a member of society. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes, yes. Can you send that to me? Do you want to talk about that? We can talk about it. If you find it in your library, yeah. Okay. If you can send yeah. the information. There was another book. Uh, so maybe after that, I just picked it up in my library. It's the Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven. <laughs> uh, it's by Sherman Alexi. Mm -hmm. And it's a collection of short stories. He's mm -hmm. hilarious. He's a Native American writer. Mm 
And the way he tells the stories too is it's humorous, but again, you know, things that a Native American can observe, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, maybe after uh, the book that you recommended, I'll send the information on this one, then we could kind of talk about this too. Um, definitely, I was I finished the first story. His introduction is hilarious, but the, uh, the the first story too is like, oh, okay, it's mm-hmm. it's fun the way he puts things. Mm, okay. But um but yeah, when you were talking about uh like how just observation of daily living which kind of gives you a f- like oh like oh I never saw it that way and entrance into uh, or or allowing the private uh allowing us to see, feel and not feel just hear his her thoughts. Uh, giving us uh, kind of a, I guess, a perspective or, or even a social commentary. Uh, it reminds me of like the idea of power from Foucault, as I understand it, how actually power is like dispersed and you very rarely see it work because it's mm-hmm. really in these conventions, just uh, languages, right? The way we, are, we speak of things, that's how a thought is controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is even like it's more dangerous because mm. you don't even know that you're being worked on. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's funny. I just read Foucault's Order of Discourse. Oh, <laughs> I have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm somewhat right in thinking. Yeah. What's that? I was like, am I somewhat right when I was? Thinking about Foucault's understanding of power, <laughs> or am I totally off? Yeah, well, at least this is about invisible discourses, yeah, and how language um, seems to be free, but it's actually quite restricting. So, yeah, this, yeah, it is about the invisible mechanisms of how discourse rules over our society and our systems. Um, yeah. But you can never supersede or transcend language. That's the way we communicate, right? So how, how can we use this discourse which is limited and still try to break free or have moments of freedom and, and critical perspective? I guess novels, like you were saying, those do that. I think comedy can do that. I mean, not just like uh, slapstick. Even slapstick comedy, done well, can be about because it is all about transgressing conventions. Mm. I so right after Nate Bargatze, I I watched Andrew Santino's thing, and he had a whole thing about how you are complicit in my comedy as much as you try to cancel yes. comics. Uh-huh. Right. Um, you're a part of this, and so he he goes on this whole. Not rant, but goes on this whole thing about how there, certain things are acceptable in this space. Yeah. yeah. And you also create the conditions to make that happen. So, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was good. It yes, was, uh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, have you watched it as well? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting too. That, that means that even breaking a convention is conventional because it's happening within a comedy show. <laughs> is that what he says? 
<laughs> Maybe. Uh, we can I mean, never uh, break out of the system. <laughs> we are the matrix. You can be creative in your breaking out of the convention. <laughs> That's as much as you'll be allowed. There's a thing, I mean, it is a tension of you are breaking from convention to as much as you can, but then are you changing anything? Hmm. Are you? I laugh and then I forget about it. So I don't know if you've actually changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't be so arrogant, right? Don't think ourselves as revolutionaries. Uh, maybe the best we can do is we are complicit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's even worse, right? If you think that you are being the revolutionary, but you're part of the system, you're just actually kind of expanding or reiterating the matrix. Uh, what's interesting is like, like Jackson Pollock, right, as this kind of person who created this new type of art where it's no longer like representation, but he's taking action on the canvas itself and he's so revolutionary and all that. But I was just reading something about it. But the only reason why he became so big was because he was fitting the convention of, hey, this is what it means to be an American. It's not like socialist capitalism where you have to follow the rules. America is all about the individual independence. And he's lifted up among more, more than any other artist, like by Life magazine, oh, one because he's a white male. So how much does it, did it really break the social conventions? No, not really. It just mm -hmm. kind of showed the, the Lone Ranger, the um, ideal American John Wayne, that's all it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're less well-known, probably comparable women artists, uh, mm -hmm. abstract expressionist artists that are not as well-known. Yeah. It was a time of, I mean, it was like, what, the 50s? Yeah. Like, big white men kind of era. <laughs> so, business, they're drinking whiskey and, you know, yeah. being right. all, Yeah. Yeah. It seems to kind of fit that. And then also they were all depressed and then, you know, died of, I don't know, <laughs> different, you know, <laughs> afflictions of those lonely yeah. uh, types. <laughs> I think it was a car crash. Um, I think so. Yeah. But you're right. Gosh, I know. Also, it's also like, oh, one of these artists I really enjoyed. And then as time goes on, you're just like, oh, he was such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he was just yeah. dripping shit on his canvas and put it on the floor, whatever. <laughs> you know? right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a dick. I mean, right. As I heard it, it was, yeah. Good to his wife. It was a revolution. He put he put the holy canvas that was supposed to be vertical onto the ground. You know, it was like he made it horizontal. He made yeah. it very um, movement oriented, which I think is pretty cool. It's right. about you know free yeah body on the canvas. yeah. I mean yeah. I mean his piece is amazing. I, I remember when I saw his piece live. That's when I, it just was wild back really. Right. Even you know, any time before I start studying the history and all the, the art critics and all that stuff, I was impressed. I was definitely impressed. 
I said, mm. okay, there's more to the abstract expressionism than just, I don't know how to draw real stuff, so I'm gonna just throw it there. But there mm. is some power to that, for sure. So, when I was what, a teenager, I watched this film called Camille. I think it was called Camille. So it's about Camille Claudel, who was uh, Auguste Rodin's assist, well, student, and then was trying to become an artist in her own right. And I think she may, may have produced some of his works or played a role. But then she, he, like, was with this young pupil of his, like, with her, like, and then promised her to leave his wife for her, which never happened. And then she ended up in an insane asylum mm. and had this tragic end. I remember watching this as a teenager. I was like, what? So I looked up all the, you know, Rodin's works and his history and her bio as well. And I was like, ah, <laughs> another dick. <laughs> okay. yeah. Did you want to destroy your thinker? <laughs> no, but I was. Yeah, it was, it was just sad because she didn't get as much recognition even though I think she was very good at making hands. She's very good at things that probably surpassed him, but she didn't get any attention. So, it was just interesting. Yeah. 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 All right, so we're still in the system. That's the conclusion. We're stuck <laughs> in the system. We have our boxes. We think our box is better, but that's only because we're in the box. So, mm. all yeah. right, good thoughts. <laughs> we can console ourselves with our little capitalist comforts. It's fine. <laughs> yes, let's do so. Uh, for me, it would be lunch for me. Okay, <laughs> dinner for me. Yeah.